Good morning. Hebrews 1, 1 through 3 says, Long ago and at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things. Through him also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Also referring to the Son, Colossians 1, 15 through 17 says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you all today. My name is Brenton, if we have not met before, and it is a privilege to bring God's word to you this morning. Uh, we had a wonderful service last week um, uh, following Thanksgiving, a, a time of giving thanks. And um, man, it was just wonderful. So many of you shared from your heart about the difficult things going on in your lives. And at the same time, gave thanks to God in those things. Um, and it really was very powerful. I close the service by sharing the gospel, the truth that we are most thankful for. Uh, but I neglected to personally express thanks to all of you. Um, and I want to just take a moment to do that and say thank you because you all have been so kind, uh, so loving to me and to my wife and to my family during this time. Um, and I, Andy and I were talking about it that really the Lord has shown us such great kindness, um, undeserved kindness through our family and through our church family. And uh, so I thank you for that. Um, my dad shared last week um, about his cancer, and so I just continue to ask for your prayers for healing. Uh, but also, um, I wanted to give just a short update on my son, because I don't know if I kind of explained that, but my son Wells, some of you know, some of you don't, but he is a rare type of tumor on his forehead. Um, it is called uh, Langerhans cell histiocytosis. Um, and we're currently in the process with it right now of determining if that's the only spot or if there are other tumors in his body. Uh, we had a PET scan this week that we're hoping will show um, uh, if there's anything else. Uh, there's a variety of different treatment options that are possible. Um, the most common is chemotherapy, but uh, there's possibility for a surgery. Uh, there's possibility for um, a newer gene inhibitor um, medicine that is new in recent years. And uh, we spoke with specialists about this, and uh, they informed us that if it is only on this one spot on his head, they've seen it several times before where it will go away on its own. Um, and so... Uh, 
you know, I just want to give that update, but also continue to ask for your prayers. Um, we are just praying that this is the only spot, that there's no other spots in his body. And we're, we're praying that if that's the only spot, that it would go away on its own. Um, and ultimately, we're praying for the Lord's healing. We're praying for the Lord's hand to be at work. And so um, I, I just wanted to, to continue to ask for your prayers, but also just truly thank you uh, for the love that you have shown uh, me and my family. Coming off of last week, it was the week after Thanksgiving, and now we turn to Advent. We turn to the time of year where we have our Advent sermon series. And it's an honor and a privilege to kick off this series today. And we've titled this series, When the Invisible Became Visible. And it's based on John chapter 1, verse 18. In fact, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, would you go ahead and turn to John chapter 1? That's where we're going to be today. You can go ahead and open up to that. And in John chapter 1, verse 18, it says that no one has seen God. And so it, it, it shows us that God is invisible. And yet, it says the only God who is at the Father's side... So now it's referring to the Son of God. He has made him known. Colossians 1.15, which Andrea just read for us, would say it this way. That Jesus, the Son of God, is the image of the invisible God. And so the truth that lies behind the story of the manger is this. That the invisible God showed up in a visible way. Jesus has made him known. And so for this series, we're going to walk through John chapter 1. We're going to walk through the first 18 verses. And I'm really excited. A different elder is going to preach each week of the series. Um, And so obviously I'm preaching this week. I'm not going to tell you who's next because then it's a fun surprise. So, um, (laughs) but a different elder is going to preach each week. And um, today we are going to consider the first Uh, really the first three verses, and we're going to consider the person of Christ. So let me read our passage together. I'm actually going to read through verse 5, and then I will pray for our time in God's Word, and we will begin. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, the Word of our God says this, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We come to you now asking for your help to understand it, to know it, but more than that, to know you and to love you more with our lives, with our hearts, with our minds, with everything that we are. We ask for your help and your spirit in this time. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. 
There is a question that is more important than any other question you will ever ask. And that question is, who is Jesus? In fact, we could say that your answer to that question is the most important thing about you. It's the question that Jesus himself asked his follower, Peter, when he said, who do you say that I am? Even now, I ask you, when you think about that question, what comes to your mind? What are the first things that you think about when you think of who Jesus is? Well, in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, John makes it abundantly clear to us, the answer to that question, that Jesus is God. I believe that when we hear statements over and over again, could be anything, even the most profound of things, we often become numb to them. I even think about this with the whole idea of having kids. So many people have kids, it happens all the time, and yet it's such a miraculous thing that we can become numb to. So true here. In the statement that Jesus is God, it is a statement that if we have been in church for any amount of time, we've probably heard, and yet we can easily become numb to its significance. There's nothing so mysterious, nothing so complex, nothing so beautiful, nothing so glorious as the statement that Jesus, this man who lived 2,000 years ago, is God. I mean, consider if I stood up before you today, I'm a man, and I stood up before you today, and I claim to be God. Consider how profound that would be. How earth-shattering that would be if that's true, and how crazy that would be if it's false. Just to be clear, I'm not saying that. But Jesus did make the claim to be God, and so it is the most important thing about us, how we respond to that claim. Do we respond in worship, or do we respond in indifference? Do we respond by being moved in love? Or do we respond by being moved in hate? My quest today, my, my job today, my mission today from John chapter 1 is to prove to you from the opening verses of John that Jesus is God. Let's look at it together. The gospel of John opens with these words, in the beginning. And to any ear who had heard the first words of the book of the Bible, the first book of the Bible, this phrase would resonate like a gong. For in the beginning of the book, we find these very words, in the beginning. And in Genesis 1.1, we read of the dawn of time. Genesis 1.1 says this, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is the very beginning of all things. In my understanding, which be fair, it's very limited, but uh, from, from what I've read, uh, scientists and culture have not always believed that uh, this earth and this universe had a beginning, that there were very, many who viewed that we had always existed here before. But in the last uh, several centuries, there's been some key scientific discoveries that have made it very clear that there uh, it was a beginning to this universe. And this was what has led to the Big Bang Theory being the most prevalent theory now for how we got here. 
And most Christians understand that according to the scripture, what we just read, the Big Bang is not how we got here, but God created is how we got here. And yet it was interesting, I read in one book that uh, when these uh, laws were coming out that were pointing to the universe having a beginning, there were some scientists who were atheists who did not believe in God, and they were afraid that the more people flocked to this idea that it had the beginning, that it was going to give the Christians too much evidence, because the Christians had been saying this all along, that the universe had a beginning. And here we see that God created it all. He created all that ever was, were, all that ever will be. Which means he must have existed before it all. For him to be the one who created it all means he must necessarily have been there before it was all created. And in John chapter 1, we read that in the beginning was not only God, but the Word. Now, what is the Word? It's a question we have to ask in this passage. In the beginning was the word. Well, if you look at verse 2, he refers to the word as a he. So it is a person. But then when we look at verse 14, it says, And the word became flesh, and he has a glory as of the only Son from the Father. And so this word is none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And so what John is saying is that in the beginning... Jesus was there. He was there before the beginning, just as God was. And so today, what I want to do is I want to show you four reasons from this passage that Jesus is God. Four proofs, four arguments from this passage that Jesus is God. And the first reason that we see is that Jesus is eternal. Jesus is eternal. Jesus has always existed. He will always exist. And this is different than you and I. We all have a beginning point. We all have a time and a place that we came into existence. We have not always existed before this, but we had a beginning. Jesus does not because he is God. We do know from the Bible that every created soul does uh, live on into eternity Uh, Hebrews 9.27 says this, it is appointed for man to die once and after that comes judgment. So we all face death one day. I hope that's not a surprise to you. It's 100% rate of that happening. We all face death one day, but after that we face judgment. Judgment that either leads to eternal life or to eternal death. And yet we continue on into eternity, yet we each had a beginning. Jesus did not have a beginning point. Jesus was not, we must be clear, Jesus was not created by God the Father. He has always been, and he always will be. Consider how great the knowledge of somebody who is 90. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but we might have some 90-year-olds in here. Uh, Consider the knowledge and the wisdom of somebody who is 90 versus somebody who is 10 years old. That's a big gap, 80 years of life experience. And then now consider Jesus. The man who lived 2,000 years ago on this earth was a man who always existed. 
the knowledge and wisdom that he has surpasses every other man that there ever was. In that manger on the first Christmas night, think about this. There was born the first child ever who did not have a beginning. He had always been. And now he arrives in a human body, in the body of a baby boy. And could there be anything more wondrous than that? Does the message of Christmas ever seem stale to you? Thing we come to year after year. If it is, I think we've got our meditation on the wrong thing. Because when we meditate upon the eternal God stepping into time, when we think about that, we can't help but be in awe of him and his plan for all of time. This point is so important that if you look at verse 2, John double emphasizes it. He says, he was in the beginning with God. He was in the beginning. Jesus is eternal. There are many of you, uh, even just we could see from last week, walking through times of suffering. One of the most interesting books of the Bible to me is the book of Job in the Old Testament. And Job is this man who undergoes tremendous suffering. He loses his wealth. He loses everything he owns. He loses his very children. And he even loses his health. He doesn't die, but, but he uh, has severe health problems. Few people have experienced this depth of suffering. And the whole book of Job is so interesting because it's so long. And it's filled with him and his friends talking about why this could be. Talking about why is this happening? If I have been faithful to God, why are all these hard and difficult things happening to me. Job continually questions God. Why is this happening? And at the end of the book, God answers. We might expect that God would come and answer and maybe show Job a few things about, you know, this is the reason this happened, um, or this is how I'm using it. But God does something different. God answers with a question, which is interesting in and of itself. But instead of God focusing Job on the problems, on the suffering, on the reasons for the suffering. God focuses Job upon the wisdom and the power of himself, of God. Job 38 verses 4 through 7 say this. This is God speaking to Job. He says, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you have understanding. Who determined its measurements? Surely you know. Or who stretched the line upon it? On what were its bases sunk? Or who laid its cornerstone when the morning stars sang together and all the sons of God shouted for joy? The question that God asks is, Job, were you there at the very dawn of time when I laid the very foundations of this earth that we are on? When I determined the exact measurements of this planet we live on, were you there were you there? No, the question uh, surely is, the answer surely is that we were not. Which means we lack the understanding, we lack the knowledge, and we lack the wisdom that our God possesses. <laughs> and it, it, the first time we, I, I don't know if, if, how many of you have read the book of Job, and the first time you get to that part, you're kind of like, wait, really? That's the response? But I believe it's incredibly hopeful. Because God 
uh, knows that we are limited in our understanding. And so what he does is he says, Job, get your eyes up. Get your eyes up off the problem. Get your eyes up off the suffering. Get your eyes onto me, the eternal God, the good God, the almighty and all wise God. Trust me and know that I am for you. And we see this eternal God step into time and suffer for us. And so that doesn't answer all of our questions about why the difficult things to us happen in life. But it does give us great comfort to know that our Savior suffered in our place. That he understands our suffering, he knows it, and he has a plan for it. Jesus is eternal. Jesus is the only man who could answer that question, yes, I was there when the foundations of the earth were laid. So Jesus was not only there at the dawn of time, but he was with God. Look again at verse one. It says, in the beginning was the word. The word was with God and the word was God. So the second reason that we see in this passage that Jesus is God, the second reason that we see is that God is Trinity. God is a Trinity. Here in John, we have the, one of the most succinct, one of the most profound ways of explaining who God is, the nature of God, that it says Jesus was with God and Jesus was God. Being a Trinity is at the very nature of God. If we want to step back, we're, we're, we're asking the question, who is Jesus? But if we want to step back and ask the question of who is God, the most central thing when we think about God is that uh, to his nature is that he is a trinity, that he is triune. And we know from reading that hundreds of years of church history have been spent fighting tooth and nail to come to a correct understanding of God's nature based on the Bible. But this is the, the, the doctrine of the trinity, the truth of the trinity. God being a trinity means that there is only one God who eternally exists as three persons, who God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Each person is distinct. Each person is fully God. And there is only one God. What feelings arise in you when you consider God as Trinity? What's going on in your heart and your mind when you hear about God being Trinity? Because the Trinity isn't like some tough math problem for you to try to wrap your head around and solve. The Trinity is God's nature. There is no one like God. He is different. He is unique. He is holy. He is other than all the rest of creation. This is part of what makes him God, is that he is different. That we can't comprehend the fullness of who he is, but we see what he's revealed of himself in his word, and we, we trust that, and we affirm that. It's clear as day in the Bible, and we hold to this wonderful, mysterious, beautiful truth of the nature of God. If God were not Trinity, it would make no sense for me to say that Jesus is God, for, for, for the Bible to say that Jesus is God, because uh, if we, we could not say that Jesus 
was with God if there was no Trinity, then there would be this idea of like there being two gods. And yet John very clearly says in the next phrase that the word Jesus was God. So he's affirming both these things at the same time that he was with God and that he was God. And so John is making it very clear that Jesus is God and that God is a Trinity. I believe many times we can avoid thinking about or talking even about this truth because we don't fully understand it and it can be difficult, but I want to press us that we desperately need this truth. We desperately need this truth. First, because it leads us to worship. There's a peculiar and spectacular kind of glory that only God has in being the Trinity. What man could dream up such a thing? The fact that there's one God eternally existing as three persons should lead us to be in awe of our God, should lead us to worship our God, should lead us to to have wonder before him. This sermon is not solely about this, but if we just take time to think about this, we could, we could talk about all the elements of this, that God has love within himself, that he has community within, within himself, that he has fellowship within himself, that, that that leads to his perfection, that leads to him being totally self-sufficient. We don't have a needy God. We don't have a God that's pining over us. He's, he's sufficient in himself. It, it leads to his perfect completeness. It leads to so many elements of his, just his perfection. And there's so many profound things that we can see when we begin to meditate that God is a triune God. But the second reason we desperately need this truth is that there would be no salvation apart from the Trinity. If you've ever thought about this or ever connected these dots, but there'd be no salvation apart from the Trinity. So though God made everything good in the beginning of time, the first man and woman rebelled against him. They metaphorically spit in the face of God by disobeying his commands and trying to make themselves like him, trying to put themselves in his place. And this disobedience, this rebellion is what we call sin. And God made it very clear that the result of sin would be death right from the start. It's actually very, God is very gracious even from the start of the Bible. We would expect that they would rebel and they would instantly die because he said that would be the result. And yet, God is so gracious that he, he is just, he will do what he has said he will do, and so he does bring death into the world for every human being. He must be just, but he's gracious that they didn't die right away. Even us, we all die because of sin, but God gives us many years to live. We even see God's grace in that. But because God is fully and completely just, he must punish the wickedness of man. He must bring a penalty to every human being who sins against him. And this isn't just physical death, but spiritual death. Because again, we all have souls that live on into eternity, the Bible says. And so we will either live in the perfect goodness that is in the presence of God, or we will live in eternal torment because we have sinned against the one true and holy God. We all deserve physical and spiritual death for our sins. The great puzzling question of the Bible is why don't we all get that? Like if God is just, if God does what he says, if he is right and lawful and good, it's good goodness is that he 
does what is just, why don't we all experience that? And the reason that we don't is because God is a trinity. Because God's perfect love between Father, Son, and Spirit overflows from himself out onto humanity. And God designs a plan of rescue from his very own just judgment. The plan is that he would send God the Son to become human, to take on humanity fully and completely. Scott spoke about that in communion, that Jesus was fully God and Jesus was fully man, that he completely understands everything we go through because he was completely and fully human. And as a human, the Son of God was able to show us the life we were made to live. He was able to show us the life of love toward God and the life of love toward other people that we were made to live. But his life wasn't just an example. His life was a qualification. It qualified him to be a substitute. Because if God is just, then someone must receive the punishment for sin that we owe for our sin rebellion. And because of God's triune love, he substituted his perfect son in our place. So when Jesus died on the cross, it was a historic event. But God the Father used that moment of innocent death to pour the fullness of death, the penalty of sin on his own son. And if the story stopped there, if that's all we said, we might begin to conclude that God is a horrible father, but he is not. He's a good father because he knew he would raise his son from the grave. Three days later, he resurrects his son. This also is a historic event. Hundreds of people saw the resurrected Jesus days after his very public death. And God did all of this so that Jesus could be our substitute. So that we could have a clean slate before God. So that we could be forgiven of all of the sins and mistakes that we have made. So that we could be free from the power and slavery of death. That we could have life in the fullest sense both now and forevermore. That is what God accomplished with his triune love. That salvation is available for anyone today who hears this news and surrenders everything to God. Do you recognize today your need for this savior? Turn to him. Leave your sin behind and turn to him. Trust in what Jesus has done for you. And the amazing thing is that when you do that, there are Christians all in the room who said, yes, I've done that years ago or maybe last week. We don't, I, I, I don't know all of your stories. But the amazing thing is that when we do that, God sends his spirit to give us new life, to, to make us new, to, to change our hearts and to be with us forever, to help us to follow God on this path that we are on. So again, the beauty of the plan is that the Father orchestrated this wonderful plan of salvation. The son accomplished the perfect sacrifice and the spirit applies that very salvation and sacrifice to your own heart and makes you new. Salvation does not happen if God isn't Trinity. Again, verse two affirms this very same truth. Jesus was in the beginning with God. 
We see God, the Trinity here. All right, the third reason that Jesus is God is that everything was created through Jesus. Everything was created through Jesus. Look at verse three together. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. I love how he said that. He's basically like everything, look at it all. Nothing was made that was made apart from him. Everything was made through him. All things were created through Jesus. And again, we see the triune God at work. When we look back at Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It says this, the earth was without form and void. Darkness was over the face of the deep. And the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light. And there was light. I love these verses. This, this idea that the, this truth that the, Earth is formless and void. There's darkness. There's chaos. There's no order yet. And yet the spirit of God is hovering over the waters, ready to move, ready to bring order, ready to bring beauty. And so again, we see that God the Father speaks. He creates. It says he said, let there be light. God the Son is the agent through which everything is created. God creates through speaking words, let there be light. Just as God the Father creates all things through the word, Jesus Christ. And the Spirit carries out that creating. He applies the spoken word of the Father and brings life and beauty out of the darkness, formlessness, and void. We, we can think of it simply this way, that everything has come from God through Christ by the Spirit. That's a simple way with prepositions. It really is a beautiful picture. And John writes this back in our chapter in John in verse four, that in him, in Christ was life. Everything came through him. All of life came through him. And the life was the light of men. I love this. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Just as God spoke, let there be light. And that light shone in the darkness. So Jesus shines the light of truth and of goodness into the darkness of our world. I love how beautiful that line is. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. We're gonna get more into next week the theme, the idea of Jesus being the light. That's a little preview for what comes next. But for now, what we wanna see is that Jesus is the one through which all things are made. He's the agent of creation, we could say. I had those verses read uh, in Colossians and Hebrews, because they also say, through whom uh, Christ, through whom the world was created. Or in Colossians, that was Hebrews. In Colossians, it says, by him all things were created. It says, all things were created through him and for him. One more place that we see this is in 1 Corinthians 8, verses 5 and 6. It says, for although there may be many uh, so called gods in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us, there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist. And here it is, one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. That's the truth. But let's bring it back down to the ground. Let's bring it back down to reality. Let's bring it back down to the story of the manger how incredible 
that the creator of all things stepped into creation. That the painter painted himself into the painting. That the author wrote himself into the story. How amazing God is. The author of all life stepped into our lives to be the source of life in the fullest for you and I. We search for life in all the wrong places and things we can buy and the status we might possess and the accomplishments uh, in our jobs or workplace and the pleasures that we pursue. But the whole book of John gives testimony that true life is found in Christ. In John 10.10, Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. All things were created through Jesus, all physical life, yes, but life in the fullest is found in him. Where do we search for life? Because it is found in Christ. All right, the fourth and final reason that Jesus is God is that Jesus reveals God. Jesus reveals God. One of the most important things in this passage that I intentionally skipped uh, is why is Jesus called the Word? What, uh, what, I mean, we briefly explained how we know that this title is referring to Jesus, but, but why is he called this title of the Word? Well, what do words do? Words reveal. They reveal information. Words disclose. Words inform. Words communicate. Words allow someone or something to be known. Very hard to be known by others without speaking. So why is Jesus called the word? It's back to our theme verse, John 1, verse 18. Jesus makes God known. That is why he's the word. He reveals God to us, just like speaking reveals things about the speaker. God speaks through his son. And this wasn't the first time God spoke or revealed himself. Hundreds of years, God spoke to prophets who then shared what he said with people. But all those years, it was like God was given the letter to the mailman and the mailman was dropping off the news. But now the author of that letter shows up. No more mailman is needed. He shows up and he speaks from his own mouth the message that he has come to declare. If you want to know God, we must know Jesus. We must look to Jesus. We must learn from Jesus because Jesus reveals God. Think about this question. How have you come to the idea that you have of God in your head? Everybody has an idea of God in their heads. How have you come to that idea? In my conversations with people, um, I realize that many people come to it by theorizing, by their own desires, by their own sense of what is true, but the Bible is very, very clear that if we want to have an accurate, accurate picture of who God is, it will not be the right picture unless it is from the mouth of Jesus and from the whole testimony of the scripture. I save this point for last, even though it's so central, because I think there's a great beauty when we see that Jesus is eternal, when we see that God is a trinity, then when we see that all things are made through Jesus, we get this view of Jesus, the person of Jesus, and the character of Jesus that is so high and lofty. It's almost difficult to comprehend and wrap our minds around. We ask God for help to understand his wondrous character. But when we get that picture, it becomes all the more amazing 
that he condescended so low to become a human and to speak to us with a human mouth. He put his message on human lips for us that we might know who he is, that we might know his plan of salvation from the mouth of another human. Maybe you're here this morning and we're all in different places in this room this morning. Maybe you're here this morning and you are feeling crushed by the weight of your sin and your mistakes. You're you're just feeling crushed by them. Do you see the love of God in this passage for you? That he would become a human to communicate who he is and his plan of salvation. That the one who is higher than we can even fathom would come in the form of a baby boy. To to reveal God to us in the flesh. We don't simply get a decree about God. We get God in human form. We see how he interacts with people. We see how he might gently touch someone. We see how he might sternly warn someone. We see how he might justly get angry with someone. We see how he might mercifully welcome people that are not welcomed elsewhere. And we see how he graciously extends life and grace to all who might receive it. There's something so profound that God has given us the word to reveal himself. And this is why we we place such a priority on the Bible as a whole, because the Bible as a whole is what reveals God to us. We know God in the fullest sense because of this book. The heart and the center of it is the words of Jesus, but Jesus would say that the whole thing is about himself. The road to Emmaus, end of Luke, Jesus would say that the whole of the scriptures points to him. And so every part is unique, every part is important, even the part by the prophets is important and good, and it's not to be discounted. Jesus is the fulfillment of it. The whole thing speaks to who God is. If God so loved us in this way, could I challenge us, who might we also love in this way? Have you ever had to communicate with somebody who is different from you? Who uh, you just don't naturally get along with or you just don't naturally connect with? Thinking about how God condescended to communicate with us in human form makes me think, how, how much more so should we do that for other people? Uh, one example would be kids. Like, kids are not on the same comprehension level as uh, adults. Sometimes there's a genius kid, but how might we find ways to share the love of God with even the kids, with even teenagers, but also with those who just are different from us, that we don't naturally relate to? There's people in our lives that it might take work for us to communicate God's love to them. How might we find ways to do that? Because our Savior has done that. So much so for us. So in conclusion, John 1 shows us the person of Christ. It answers the question, who is Jesus with the bold and emphatic claim that Jesus is God? That Jesus is eternal? That Jesus is the second person of the God that is Trinity? That all things were made through Jesus and that Jesus reveals God to us? If you're anything like me, sometimes when Christmas rolls around, it kind of feels like the same old thing again. And I'm young. I'm, I'm, I'm 28. So <laughs> many, many of you have many more Christmases. 
Not that many, though. I'm, I'm just, just saying. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Let me pull that back. <laughs> um, but if you're anything like me, Christmas comes around, and sometimes it feels like the same old thing, the same old messaging. Jesus is the reason for the season. It's the same old events. It's the same craziness and shopping. And sometimes Christmas can get that little bit of staleness, especially at the start. But when we come to this season with these truths about who Jesus is, with these truths about his personhood and his character, how could we not be in awe? We could spend 150 Christmases, 200 Christmases, none of us live that long, and, and, and still not get to the end of the massive truth that Jesus has got. We could spend every day meditating upon that and never get to the bottom of it. And so as we approach Christmas, December 2023, how will you prepare your heart for this Christmas? Will you be swept away into all the busyness of this season? That's my struggle. I just get swept away into all the events and all the busyness of it. Will this month be just the all-out blitz of shopping and parties and family events where you come to the other side of it, you come to January feeling empty, worn, feeling uh, not, not refreshed or fulfilled? Or will you choose, even in the midst of all that, to make Jesus the man who is God, the word revealed, your meditation this month? Will you choose to spend time thinking this month about the character, the nature, the personhood of Jesus? Will you choose to actually spend time with him this month? Again, that can be a great challenge in December, is actually to spend time with God. And yet, oh, how we need it. Because there's nothing that gives life to our souls like Christ. In him was life, and that life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. So my prayer for myself and for all of you, for us as a church, is that this month would be characterized not just by fun. I, I hope it's characterized by fun and events and things like that. But that it would be characterized by deep devotion and communion with the Son of God, the Word, who came as flesh and dwelt among us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for sending your son. We thank you for the profound and great truth that you became a man. And God, my prayer now is that as we have considered that this morning, and as we continue to consider that this month, that you would well up our hearts with worship, with devotion, and with greater love and awe toward you. You are the one who is worthy of all of our adoration and our praise with everything in our lives. And so we pray, God, that we would live to that end, both this month and on. We ask for your help in this. We need the power of your spirit. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. 
Amen. Um, I want to say, uh, if you would like prayer for anything, I want to go ahead and invite our prayer partners to come up to the front, and uh, they will be here after service for a little while. And so if you want prayer for anything in your life, anything that you are struggling with or anything you're going through, these people love to pray. We love to pray. And so they would love to be able to encourage you and be with you. And, um, and so I just invite you to do that if you'd like. Uh, thank you all for being here today. Uh, hope you have a wonderful Sunday. And um, pray God blesses you today.